All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 77, Psalms 98, 99. And what do you know? We got a, we got a new guy in the studio today. He, I think he's been with us maybe one other time. One time. One time out of, Kevin, how many lessons? 441. That's a big deal. This is almost like reading this Psalm on Sabbath. Like, please make sure this is an important one. Luke Ellerman, why don't you tell everybody what you do at Time to Revive? Uh, I help out with business and donor development and uh, get to meet with different business people and donors and people who partner with us and love on them and just a good time. You know, I, I think it's just really cool that you're here. We've been hosting some lunches, some dinners at our office, just a small little group talking through kind of really where the Lord's leading Time Revive, where the Lord's really leading Revive School. What does this look like? What's our involvement in the nation? What's our look? What, what's our vision for overseas? And, and it's just kind of been this, we feel like we're in a new, fresh season. And it's pretty exciting. And so, I, you know, very rarely do we ever on the radio, honestly, you guys, and in, into our school ever talk about how, how God continues to provide, but he provides because he speaks through listeners and students like yourself. And so, I, honestly, let's just say this, is that, you know, we, we pay for this, these items. God provides, but yet it's just a continual leap of faith. And I, I just say with Luke even here, totally not planning on going here, I would just say if is anybody's interested in supporting Time Revive or interested in supporting Revive School, don't hesitate. If you're remotely interested in walking with us, do it. Give Luke a call. Go to our website, timerevive.com, because to me, as we continue to pour into uh, the Word of God on a daily basis, we depend upon the man of the fall, just like the Israelites did. God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to provide? And, and we do this, you guys. We do revive school. We do time revive because, honestly, because of, we know who we are in Christ. We know, and I love this. You guys have heard of Isaac Watts before, I'm sure. Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World, like the famous Joy to the World. So since Luke is here, you know, Luke, at least give us a little something here. What do you got? How's it go again, Kevin? This is Psalms, right? This is what you do. You sing, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Wow. Woo! This is what Isaac is talking about. Isaac Watts is talking about the joy of the world. Why? Because he's experienced... The joy of the Kevin, did you did you hear that? Kevin? Yeah, he, he broke it out. <laughs> I mean, the joy of the Lord, it's really about, you know what it is? It's about getting ready for his coming back. That's what it is. It is, and it's interesting. The joy uh, to the world, it's not about his first coming. It's actually about Christ's second advent. Strangely enough, it's not about, as one person wrote, Warren Wearsby wrote, it's not about the manger of joy to the world. It's actually about the messianic kingdom. And so when you look at this, when you look at, uh, at the Psalms, it's kind of a cool picture. It, it really, in the first, uh, first three verses, you're going to see, and I like what Nelson's commentary says, is it's a call to praise God. And you're going to see this as different ways of looking at God. It's a call to praise God as Savior. 
That's going to be in verses 1 through 3. Scripture says this. Sing us. Here it is, Kevin. This is a repeat of Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord, for He has performed wonders. Uh, another way, a way of putting this is He has performed miracles. His right hand and holy arm have won Him victory. So here's this image of God. You're praising the Lord because of all the miracles He's done, all the signs, all the wonders that He's done. And this image of His right hand and holy arm, it's really in reference to, and this is kind of a cool picture of what Nelson's commentary says, it's a way of referring to His great salvation of Israel from Egypt. So it's kind of like this. We're singing about how God has saved us. Think about this. Out of the land that we didn't want to be in. And so you really want to paint a picture of how God saves us. I mean, think about this, how God has taken us out of all the stuff we've come from. Do you guys remember the day or the time that you actually accepted the Lord? I know the day, but I don't like I can't picture it. in my. How old were you? I was like six. You're six years old. What, what state were you in? Iowa. You're in Iowa. Who are you with? My mom. Your mom. So your mom helped lead you to the Lord. What about you, Luke? Do you have any idea? Uh, I remember saying the sinner's prayer, but I don't know. It didn't really become a relationship. Guys, he probably doesn't know the Lord. We should go through the rest of it. <laughs> we should go through it right now. So you said the sinner's prayer, but it wasn't until you started having a relationship when? Well, it just it. I was eight, so I don't. I don't feel like I actually understood what it meant, and I don't feel like the Holy Spirit really. I don't know. I don't feel like it was a true moment of salvation until later in my life. Okay, but you're not sure when that moment was. Uh, Fourteen, fifteen, somewhere. Rich, what about you? 22. Uh, I love this story, but who helped share the gospel with you? Uh, it was a guy that I was working with. He was praying at the time that the Lord would give him boldness to share the gospel. And so, yeah, he did. And you stopped swearing, right? That was after, yeah. Okay. <laughs> TJ, what do you got? I don't remember a day or age. We're also still working. Well... <laughs> 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 I don't think any, anybody's going to donate to us. No, no nobody. They're like they're all. None of them are saved. I promise you, we know the Lord. Okay. Top, you got an idea? I grew up Catholic, so we went to church, all that. But like Luke said earlier, it wasn't a relationship till I got older. This was just a really entertaining conversation that we've all just had. But I get it. I get what you're saying. Because I came to know the Lord at 12. I remember the light bulb going off. I was at a Youth for Christ convention. I walked up front because I wanted to get in front of the TV. That didn't really happen. So then they ushered us into the back. There's an older lady from Minneapolis. She shares the gospel. And I'm like, wow, that's what that actually means. I remember this progression. And uh, I think what's really interesting is I remember the light bulb going off. But that's what takes time is I was was a new babe. I was a babe in the Lord who I needed somebody to pour into me, to disciple me, and to help me grow. And that's kind of what's really happened in all of us is that there was a seed that was deposited and then over the course of the time we went from justification to sanctification. We went from this pursuit of holiness to attempt attempt to look more like Him. And what I love about Psalm 98, you guys, honestly, is that here you have folks, again, we we don't know who the author is. It just says a psalm. Like apparently they got tired with their titles. Hey, what should we call this one? Uh, A psalm. Yep, got it. Good. So that's what it is. He just literally just writes down, it is a psalm, a praise, a pray, you're, you're praising the king. And so here it is, all these people, think about this, of singing a new song to the Lord. Why? Because he's worked amazing things around us and in my life. His right hand and holy arm have won him victory. Now, I want to just tell you this and remind me guys to do this. At the very end, I want to kind of put a whole different twist on this whole thing. It kind of rocked my world when I read this. And I thought, ah, well, let's hang on till the end. 
So if you would, let's keep going here in verse uh, two. It says the Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. So in other words, think about it this way. His first audience is who? The Jews, right? But then when it says he revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations, who's he talking about? To the Gentiles. God's salvation, this is important, you guys, was designated to spread to the nations. The Lord made his victory known. He's revealed his righteousness in sight of the nations. And then here's what's really cool is if, if he revealed his, his righteousness in the sight of the, of the Gentiles, he's clear that he wants Israel to be a light to the nations. That, that a fair statement? That makes sense? So it says, okay, the Lord made himself known to them. He revealed who he was. And by the way, you're supposed to be a light of the nations. In fact, Ben-Gurion in multiple speeches, uh, the original prime minister of Israel, right? Ben-Gurion, he was, he was constantly referring to Israel as we are the light of the nations. In fact, think about the menorah. The menorah has all the candles, right? That goes like this. I mean, it's a symbol of, yes, the light of the nations. And then Bibi, uh, prime minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. In 2017, what does he do? He references their country as a light of the nations. God designed, crazy enough, this little small country the size of New Jersey to be the light of the nations. And Isaiah talks about all of this. Kevin, if you would, go to Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 42, verse 6, it says this, I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Scripture continues on actually in Isaiah 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49, 6, it says this. He says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. I mean, we're talking very clearly about his people. And then just finally, one more, if you'll go to Isaiah 60, verse 3. Isaiah 60, verse 3, scripture just talks about it. This it says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your radiance. Now, last yesterday, we talked about this, how in Psalm 96, the nations are going to come, Right. The nations are going to come because of the salvation. And look what he says, the prophet says in Isaiah, the nations are going to come to your light. Why? They're coming because of your radiance. Because of God moving in their life, nations will be drawn to, yes, the Messiah. What an awesome picture. And so this is a call to praise God as our Savior. Just kind of a fun little picture of how God's going to use Israel to actually speak to the Gentile nations. And remember, on his second coming. Scripture continues on in verse 3. He has remembered his love and faithfulness, his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. I mean, you guys, this is an incredible story. Everybody's going to see what God's going to do in Israel. All of the ends of the earth, they're going to see that God's hand is on this country, that God's salvation is truly, that word victory also can imply salvation, that God's hand is truly on. It's a metaphor, as, uh, as MacArthur says, for the Lord's establishment of his righteousness, his righteous kingdom here on earth. And oh, by the way, it's going to be in Israel. That's crazy to me. All of this, and it's kind of like, wait, what? This is a call to praise God as Savior through, yes, 
the people of Israel. And so as a result, uh, there's kind of a fun little picture here that we have is that here's what you're going to see. Is that Nelson says this, it becomes a call to praise God as king. So we switch from the perspective of as savior to king. And so here's what he says. Shout to the Lord. All the earth be jubilant. Shout for joy and sing. Joy! 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 joy. Hey, how's, how's Tom doing over there? He's joy. not very joyful. No! All right. I got joy, guys. Joy. joy! Joy! Shout to the Lord, all the earth be jubilant, and shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the melodious song, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Look at the shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. It's kind of a cool picture of what this is going to look like. Scripture continues on in verse 7. It says, let the sea... Uh, Let me just write this up here as well. Nelson just says, finally, it's a call to praise God. (laughs) I feel like you need music with this one. As the coming judge. So here you can view God as the Savior. You can view Him as the King. And then, by the way, and I, I just, I kind of feel like it's a really sweet progression, to be honest. And then it's the last three verses, verses 7 through 9. Let the sea and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it, resound. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. Kevin, you know, before we started recording this, you said, man, this feels so much like Psalm 96. I want you to go back to Psalm 96. I I would agree with you 100%. If you go to Psalm 96, think about this. In the very first verse, it says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. You go to Psalm 98, verse 1. Sing a new song to the Lord. So you have the same imagery of singing something new. There's a fresh perspective. And then, interesting enough, in Psalm 96, verse 13, it says, well, actually, in verse 12, Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then all the trees of the forest will shout for joy. Does this not feel like we just read that? In verse 8 of Psalm 98, let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains shout together for joy before the Lord. It's the same language and it has the same ending. In Psalm uh, Psalm 96, verse 13, before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his faithfulness. Now, if you go to Psalm 98, I feel like there's something we really need to understand. In Psalm 98, it says in verses 9, verse 8 and 9, but verse 9 specifically, it says, Before the Lord, for He is coming to judge the earth. He'll judge the world righteously and the peoples fairly. All right, you ready for this one? Okay, these are the three points that I really like. I think that uh, Nelson's is pretty accurate about portraying this picture of Jesus being, uh, God as being the Savior, the King, and the coming judge. Okay? There's a guy named Cooper Armstrong. New guy. New guy. Don't know him. Don't know him at all. And he wrote about uh, the second coming of the Messiah based on Psalm 98. And I was like, okay, I can kind of see this. 
Here, here's what I want to do today. I want to just kind of mess you up a little bit. I'm okay with this if you don't like this. Okay, does that make sense? But sometimes I feel like it's really good to like, what else? Is there another perspective that maybe we need to see? If you don't like it, just throw it out. I'm okay with this. I just want us, remember our phrase in the, in the book of Psalms is what, Kevin? King of glory. It's the king of glory. So anytime that we can say, hey, is Christ in this? Is the Messiah in this? I, w- I want to point people to this. And obviously Isaac Watts, he said it is about the second coming, right? So when he wrote Joy to the World. So I think it's pretty fair. Everybody would agree. Like this is the emphasis of, oh, by the way, we need to get ready. He's coming back. Okay, Psalm 98. So now watch this, okay? At the very beginning, Cooper said, okay, this is really about Christ's return and the earth needs, the earth is singing a new song because of Christ's return. Does that make sense? Like, I want you to put all of this in the context of Christ actually coming back. Then in verse two, it says, the Lord has made his victory known. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He proposes, like, what if this is actually about Christ returning uh, here on earth? Like, not just like God as our king, like, does that make sense? I don't know. If, I'm trying to sound this out. I'm trying to say he's saying this is all about Christ. Instead of its victories past, like yes. you talked about Egypt in verse one the first time. This is his victory, his coming victory over the earth. Yes, yeah, some would say maybe verse one, if you study the context, maybe this was about the Israeli victories over the Medes and the Persian, Persians over Babylonian. Like that, there, there's a thought behind like there's that current context, right? Uh, maybe it's about uh, the victory is about that, that, that they were led to uh, the return of the Jewish exiles back to their land. Like maybe that's the victory. What this guy, Cooper Armstrong, proposes, he said, no, well, that, that could be. But I really think it's about Christ and the victory that he's already given us. And so he becomes really, really forward about this. And in verse three, this is kind of interesting. He said God fulfills his promises through Christ in verse three. He remembered his love and the faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen our God's victory. And so in this, as a result of through Christ, then in verse four, all of the earth is singing because of Christ. Then he says in verse five, you're singing with instruments. Verse six, there's actually a joyful noise. And then he says in verse seven, because of Christ's return, all of the earth comes together. And they actually resound and praise him. Now, am I saying that's not far off? No, he's just really forward about it and saying it's not with the other stuff. It has everything to do with the Messiah. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this fact of he is coming to judge the earth? It's kind of where I want to just kind of go this direction. And I really like what MacArthur is it's, it's established. His coming to judge the earth is clear. It's when Christ actually comes to earth. Second time. Everybody would agree? First time he was born, he lived his life here. 30, 32 years, whatever the time frame that people are predicting, right? And in in this context, he dies, he was buried, he comes back to life. And then at that point in Acts 1, it says he ascended into heaven. So he has already come in once. He's come once. Now the scripture says in Acts 1, he's going to come back the exact same way that he left. Well, if that's the case, the second time he's coming back, he's coming to judge us. So what is the purpose of this? Coming of the judge is a reason. Okay, I think this is kind of interesting. There's a reason for joy. Why would there be a reason for joy if there's judgment coming? Because the battle would be over. Yeah, he's going to put an end to the cruelty, the evil, all of this stuff that we have to deal with. 
He's coming back to say, I got it. So Christ is coming back. Well, what happens if you'll go to Revelation 16? We haven't really ever done this much. Go to Revelation 16, verse 16 through 21. Okay. Revelation 16, 16 through 21. It says this. So they assembled them at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Rich, you've been there, right? Yes. I mean, it's actually a place, the Valley of Armageddon, or, uh, Megiddo, Valley of Megiddo. Yeah, it is a place. So it, there's really a place that they're going to all gather. Verse 17 says, And the seventh poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the sanctuary from the throne saying, It is done. Okay. Continues on. It says this. There are flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since man has been on the earth. So great was the quake continues on, the, the, the great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger, continues on. Every island fled and the mountains dis- disappeared in verse 21. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds fell from the sky on people and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because the, that plague was extremely uh, severe. And so what you see is, is you begin to see uh, Armageddon is starting to take place. So if you'll go to Revelation 17, verse 10. So all of these nations are coming together, specifically seven kings. These seven kings, it says they also are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is the one who has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. In other words, you're going to have seven kings coming together. They're going to go against each other. But when Christ comes, what do they do? They then they say, we're done fighting each other. And who do they start fighting? Christ. So when we're talking about this language of for he is coming to judge the earth, when he comes, this is the stuff he's going to experience. Christ is going to come and he's actually going to have to battle in Revelation 18. Again, we haven't really gotten into this much. And I I do admit like there's a lot more depth that we could go into this. I'm just trying to paint a broad picture of, of when he comes in Revelation 18. You're going to begin to see the fall of Babylon. You're going to begin to see the wiping out of the wicked people. So here you have nations gathered, they're turning against each other. But when Christ comes, now they turn against him. And as Christ comes, he starts cleaning house. It's a pretty awesome picture of Revelation 18. And then when you move on into Revelation 19, Scripture talks about how it, huh, there's a lot that's going to happen after the end of seven years. Rich, just real quick, what's the whole seven-year deal? Uh, the seven-year tri- tribulation where... Um, there will be peace on earth for about three of those years, and then the Antichrist will reveal himself, and that then starts this period that um, of the seven-year tribulation, where it goes bad. It goes really bad. So for the first three and a half years, you know that the temple has been rebuilt, correct, in Jerusalem. We've talked about this. The temple has been rebuilt. That's crazy to even think about. And then in the first three and a half years, there's going to be somewhat of, of peace, all of this chaos, all of this fighting somehow just just calms down a little bit. And then in that, the Antichrist then puts himself where, Kevin? In the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies. He puts himself in the temple. And so then he all of a sudden, by putting himself there, equates himself to God. And then all hell breaks out. After the three and a half years, all hell breaks out. Now, somebody will be like, well, I'm a Christian man. I'm going to be raptured. I don't have to worry about that. All I would just say is, is that might be your prayer. But I want to get you ready just in case you're here. Well, I'm a pre-trib, Kyle. I'm not going to listen to that. Or I'm a mid-trib. Look, man, all I, all I have to tell you is you better be ready regardless of what comes your way. 
And if that is the case, okay, eventually when Christ comes and cleans house at the end of the seven years, okay, we do know this, that the Antichrist, the beast and the prophet, they are actually going to be judged and cast down into a lake of fire. And then as it continues to build, what you're going to have is you have these two little groups of remnant that are left. The Antichrist remnant and then the remnant. And then in all of this, then you're going to get ready for the thousand year reign. So in Revelation 21 through 6, the devil then is cast into the pit. So if you want to just go there, it says in Revelation, we'll just go there. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with a key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. It says he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. Continues on, he threw him into the abyss, closed it, put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. What an awesome picture this is. This is going to be Christ is coming back. So when we talk about uh, what is it in verse verse nine, he is coming to judge the earth like this is the process we're talking about. He's going to come and clean house against the, the, the nations. He's going to wipe out the, the Babylonian mentality, the wicked people mentality. There's going to be this seven year tribulation time frame. Antichrist shows up. At the end of the seven years, somewhere in there, the Antichrist and the, uh, uh, the, the beast, I should say, and the prophet thrown into lake of fire. Okay, And then in this, crazy enough, there's a little remnant left over. As the remnant is left over, guess what? Jesus, then it says, cast the devil into the abyss for a thousand years. So what do we have for a thousand years, Kevin? What is Jesus going to do? Rain. He gets the rain. So when you talk about like getting excited about the coming judge, the reason you're getting excited is that you know we're getting that much closer to the, the king of glory actually showing up in our lifetime. But as he shows up in our lifetime, you actually have to expect, you ready for this, it to be hard. And so I just want us to be prepared to understand, let's praise God as a savior, praise God as a king, praise God as a coming judge. But please make sure you know what you're asking for. Please know why you're praising the Lord. You're praising the Lord because he's coming to clean house. And nobody really likes cleaning house, though. It's kind of a process. It's good. And you feel really good at the end of it. Praise God. But at the same time, I just want to just say this. After all of this process, if you go to Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And again, please hear me say this. I am fully aware that we're doing just a big, broad stroke right now of the end. But I just felt like it was appropriate when we're talking about the coming judge. What does that even look like? Well, guess what? The second death is coming. There's a judgment of the unsaved. In Revelation 20, 11 through 15, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. It says, I also said the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Verse 13, then the sea gave up its dead. And the death in Hades gave up their dead. And so in other words, everybody that has died, you ready for this? Then there's a, it's, it's, it's weird. There's a second death mentality. There's a second death judgment. All were judged according to their works. Verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So when we talk about the coming judge and we're praising him for what's going to come, 
I just want to make sure everybody understands what's really coming. And so for me, I, I don't want anybody to experience this. I don't want anybody to not experience the eternal life that he actually wants to give us. So when you think about the coming judge, you want to know the best way you can prepare people is tell them and proclaim the good news. If you don't want to proclaim it, you sing it. You sing joy to the world because he's coming. And I want everybody to be ready. Isaac Watts wanted everybody to be ready. Luke Ellerman in a song wanted everybody to be ready. That's our goal is get people ready for the return of Christ. And you can do that by delivering the good news. Don't worry about the timing. We all know it's going to happen. When? I don't know. But my prayer is, is that because you've been changed so much, you have to tell somebody else about Jesus. King Jesus is coming back. All right, guys, have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.